generosity. Um, that we started out last week talking about transformation. We're, we're talking about our guiding values. Transformation was the first one. We're going to talk about generosity today. Um, and we define generosity this way. Um, all that we have is a gift from God. We respond to God's generosity to us by joyfully offering all of our resources back to God. Our time, abilities, money, and property are stewarded generously and sacrificially. So I just want to point out that we include um, time, abilities, and property or possessions, as well as money, in our definition of generosity. Um, so not, not just money. But today we are going to spend most of our time talking about money, um, because Jesus talked about money a lot. Uh, and because I think that we, don't, we probably don't talk about money enough, um, actually. I don't think we talk about money enough. Um, money is a topic that brings up pretty strong feelings, as evidenced by a lot of the things that y'all already said. Um, I, I certainly related to most of the things that you said. These are feelings that I also have, anxiety, um, just some tension around money. Um, disagreements about money uh, lead to conflict in marriages, conflict in business relationships, conflict in friendships even. You know, if somebody needs to Venmo you some money, how do you feel when you have to ask them? Can you Venmo me that? Yeah, thumbs down from Corey, right? Like it just, it creates that little bit of tension and anxiety to have to talk to people about money. Um, so these emotions that we have, you know, are even bigger, like scarcity around that. Um, who has it? Who doesn't? Uh, who has too much? Who doesn't have enough? Embarrassment about money. Um, maybe we're embarrassed that we don't have enough money. Or we're embarrassed that we have too much money. It might depend on the, the situation that we're in or who we're around. Um, judgment. I think that if we're honest, we all have felt some judgment about money. Um, we judge other people about how much money they have or how much money they don't have, how little money they have. Or we're afraid other people are going to judge us about how much or how little money that we have. So we just avoid, this is a topic that we avoid, Right. Um, Pam kind of hit it with denial, just something that we try to avoid thinking about, talking about very much. But not talking about something is what gives it power. Just the elephant in the room, right? We avoid talking about it, and it gives it power. Um, and part of our growth toward wholeness as individuals, part of our transformation um, as a community and as people, um, is talking about things that make us uncomfortable, Instead of avoiding talking about it, we talk about the things that make us uncomfortable. So things that we want to keep hidden, things that we want to avoid, we bring those things into light. And doing that is what robs them of their power. And money has a lot of power over all of us. So we're just going to acknowledge that today, say that it's true, that money has a lot of power over us. And it can be even tricky sometimes to see the ways that money sneaks its way into our hearts that power that money has over us. And we might even be afraid to say this, um, but we trust money more than we trust God. Uh, we, you know, it's not something we want to say, even sitting here in church, that we trust money more than we trust God. Uh, but what we believe about money and possessions can start when we're very young. And depending on your house that you grew up in, what your parents said about money or didn't say about money. Um, and then also, depending on the type of church that you grew up in, if you grew up in church, what you were taught there affects how you feel about money today, something that you learned about stewardship. So how many of you were taught something about stewardship in church, like as an adult or, or even as a kid? I mean, I was taught a lot of things about stewardship, even from the time I was very, very small. 
Um, so our culture also teaches us about money. Uh, we learn that having money and having stuff brings us security, brings us happiness, brings us respect. Uh, there's TV shows about it, right? Succession, anyone? Right? Um, having money brings us respect, brings us happiness, although that's... Yeah, anyway. Um, and our culture elevates these things, right? Bank accounts, um, what we can afford to buy, and even possessions over relationships. At some point, people will choose possessions over a relationship at times. So generosity, on the other hand, frees us from that power. Being generous just frees us from that. And so what we want to do is lessen the power that money and possessions have over our lives and we give and we're generous because of God's love for the world. We give and we're generous because that is the example that God shows to us, not out of an obligation, not to check a box, not because that's something that we were taught or a rule, but out of love. Um, so I'm going to turn it over to Shane to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so I don't even think you've said the word tithing today. I have not, have in you? fact, no. Uh, and, and I don't know, maybe if you grew up in church, that sticks out to you because that was a big word that you grew up with that you, when you talked about, um, when April asked you if you'd heard about uh, giving in church, uh, tithing was a big word that we talked about. What's interesting is uh, there is no New Testament commandment to tithe. And it's strange to me how often New Testament churches teach tithing as if it is a commandment in the New Testament. It's just, it's just not. It's not there. Now, the closest thing we have to it is Jesus confronts the Pharisees, and he says, look, you're, you're so careful to meticulous to give a tenth of all the herbs that you grow to the temple. And he says, and you should, but, and he says, you know, you miss the larger thing. That's kind of the closest thing, but pay attention there. He was talking to Pharisees. He was talking to, to Jewish men on that side of the cross, on that side of the resurrection. They were under the original covenant. They're not under the new covenant. And we just we don't have uh, a corollary to that. The tithing was uh, a temple institution, and we are New Testament people here today. So then, oh, oh no, what do we do? Now that we don't have a way to say, hey, look, tithe because you have to, because there's a commandment in the Bible that says you have to. Oh, no, what are we going to do? Well, I think this actually frees us. Not that there's anything wrong with the tithing uh, system, but it frees us to give out of the abundance of our heart, to give out of what God has given us. And, you know, what I will say is we give and we provide for things that we love. If you're a parent, you make sure that your kid has clothes and they have food and they have all the things that we need. And I would assume if you're here today, you find at least some value in this thing we call church, in the community, in each other, in coming together and the breaking of the bread and devoting ourselves to the apostles' teachings. And I would say that we, we do have a, uh, not a commandment in the same way that tithing is a commandment, but we do have, um, what's the word I'm looking for, April? No, because I just said not to give out of obligation. Right. No, it's not an, it's not an obligation. <laughs> That's we have an mind. impetus. We have an impetus from our hearts to give and to provide for the things that we care for and that we provide value to. And the other thing I wanted to say was, I, I love, April, you had mentioned even if it wasn't at church, our culture teaches us about money. 
And we learn that having money and stuff will bring us security and happiness and respect. Um, I love that you said that because the other side of this is a personal formation that our money brings. If you want to see the state of your heart, look at where your resources go, your time and your money, and that will be the window into your soul. No one thinks of themselves as greedy people. No one. So to just say, oh, I'm not a greedy person. No, no one thinks that they're a greedy person, right? Very, very few, the rare person who says, yeah, greed is good, right? But most of us, we don't, we don't see that, not because, it's not, not because there are not greedy people in the world, but because we, we're blinded to it when we are that. So the proof is in where we spend our time and where we spend our money and where we send, spend our resources. I don't know that I've brought this uh, metaphor up before in sermon format, but those who are around me often have heard me talk about this because I'm never not talking about this because it's really been transformational for me. Um, but there have been some um, writers, uh, some people of color who are writers that write about anti-racism and they, and the way, uh, one of the operative metaphors, Jamar Tisby writes about this and some others, one of the operative metaphors they have is like the moving sidewalk or the pedway. So like we've all generally been to an airport or somewhere where there's a, a sidewalk we get on and it's moving us toward there. And so what these writers have said is that to be in America is to be on this pedway that is moving towards racism and white supremacy. And we might think that we can just stand still as long as we're not walking towards these things that we're doing good and that's okay, but we fail to realize that we're on this moving pedway that's moving us toward us, toward it, whether we want to or not. And so the only way to resist that is to actually walk the other way, to proactively go in the other direction. And we've also got to walk in that direction faster than the pedway is moving us in the opposite direction to be moving in the right, the right way, right? This metaphor not only applied to racism, but everything else in life has been so transformative to me to understand what's going on. Because like April said, culture teaches us about money. And we are being formed in a certain way in a hyper-capitalistic system in America. We are on this pedway moving towards greed, moving towards exploitation, and moving towards more and more and more, and we make gods of ourselves on that pedway. And so the only way is to turn around and run in the other direction. And I really think that we need to see this as not just something that like, oh, I could be better. Yeah, like I could, I could be better, like maybe, I'm, maybe I like money a little too much. Um, you know, the Bible, the New Testament is very clear about there are powers and principalities of this world, and they're trying to trap us. They're trying to enslave us. And money in America right now is one of the very number one ways that we get trapped and we get enslaved. And so one way that I can fight against that is to give away my money and to give away my time. This is a way that I avoid being entrapped and being enslaved because this thing is forming me whether I want it to or not. And I will be formed one way or another in a good or a bad way. And if I want to be formed in a good way, I've got to give this stuff away that we have. 
And I think it's incredibly countercultural, and we just, boy, we just think that we've got to drive a new car, and we've got to live in a certain kind of neighborhood, have a certain kind of house, and we rarely stop to ask what we really need, like what would be enough, and then what we can do with the abundance that we have. And we generally, not everyone, but generally, we have an abundance. We have some leftover. So I think that I think it's really good for us, and I feel like we've tried to do this in the past and done a decent job of reforming the conversation of not, well, tithe because we have to, because it's good and just everybody's done it. Just come on, tithe, you know? Um, but to do it out of the abundance of our heart because we care about this place, and I don't mean place in the physical place, but like the gathering together in the fellowship that we have, that it's going to require something of us. We do that out of the abundance of our heart, and then also to be formed in the people that we want to be formed. It's him. It's me. It only did it when I started talking. Now it's on. <laughs> Sorry, I apologize for being the problem. Um, I, I even went through. I was like, I turn it off. So it's if in case. Um, all right. So yeah. We're going to keep exploring today how God wants me and our possessions, and I'm still crackling. I'm just going to keep talking. Um, and Jesus, who lives the power that money has over us, um, so he about Jesus' money in the Bible. We've got a slide for this. Um, there are 38 parables that Jesus told, 16 of them reference money and possessions. 16 of the 38 parables reference money and possessions. In the gospel, one out of every 10 verses deals with money. And about 2,000 of the verses in the Bible are about money. So there's a lot about money. Um, so obviously it's something that's very important. Should I just use Shane's? Is that why you're laughing? This is a sermon about generosity. There's probably a song about sharing. Okay, so we're going to read a scripture. This is from Mark 12, um, verses 41 through 44. We're going to read a couple scriptures here, but the first one is a story from the Gospels um, that Jesus was talking about money. This is a, a really short little story here. Um, so G he, this is Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which were worth about a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So like what's going on here is that Jesus is teaching in the temple um, so, he's, you know, there's a crowd that's gathered, Jesus is teaching, and then he sees this woman, uh, she's a widow, and the first thing that stands out about this story is that he notices her. Uh, a widow would have been a person who, who would have been invisible in this culture, in this society, uh, because she's a woman, and because she is a widow. She is now an unmarried woman. She would have held very little status, and she would have likely been living in poverty uh, because she is widowed. So she has no man to provide for her, to care for her, and, uh, and support her. 
So he, Jesus notices this woman, and then he watches her put in what is, it said, two small coins. And the text says they're worth about a penny. Some scholars have said that this would have been about the equivalent um, today's money of about putting like a dollar in the offering basket. And then the story contrasts the rich people who were putting in these very large sums of money, uh, likely making a big deal as they do it, drawing attention to themselves. And in the widow, uh, Jesus, you know, sees um, these, this woman putting in everything that she has, these two small coins. Uh, and in the rich people, Jesus sees their pride um, and, and drawing attention to themselves. And look at me, I'm putting in all this money. And probably they still had plenty left over to live on. The widow, he sees sacrifice that she's giving all that she has. And he actually says that she gave away all that she had. And her gift is, is staggeringly generous uh, because it was sacrificial. It was everything that she had. She gave away all of the money that she had to live on. So even though numerically it was a small amount of money compared to the rich people who were giving away these large, large sums of money, it had greater spiritual value. It had greater value in God's kingdom because of the sacrifice that she had made. So what this story shows us is that Jesus is more interested in how we give than in how much we are giving. And we are called to be a people, to be a witness of God's generosity to us, to give generously and sacrificially. So what does that look like? What does God's generosity look like? Uh, so we're going to read another passage here. This is from 2 Corinthians. This was written by Paul. He was writing to the church in Corinth, and he was writing to them to encourage them to give generously. And it says this, Now as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for you, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. So he's presenting them with a challenge. We want you, you're excelling in all these other things, so we want you to also excel in generosity. I do not say this as a command, but I am testing the genuineness of your love against the earnestness of others. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich." So again, what Paul is saying here is that Jesus' willingness to give everything he had, so like the widow, giving everything, um, literally in, in Jesus' case, his whole life for the sake of the world, um, Jesus' act was a deeply personal and sacrificial act of giving. Later, we're going to come to the table for Eucharist, and we're going to participate uh, literally, like physically, by taking the bread and the wine in Jesus' act of giving. We're going to participate spiritually in Jesus' act of giving by receiving the gifts of the, the bread and, and the juice, the wine, um, here this morning. So we became partakers. We become partakers in Jesus' generosity. And then we are called then to go out and be generous as we're out in the world. So because of Jesus, we already have everything that we need. And that's hard to believe sometimes uh, when we actually have a need. Like yesterday, we got in my car, turned my car on, and the battery was dead. And yesterday, thankfully, we had the means to you know, get a new battery. There have been times in my life where a dead battery was like, I don't know how we're going to pay 
to replace his battery. Um, you know, and so though like these sorts, of, we don't always have the means. It can feel like how do I how do I live generously in a world uh, where sometimes I don't have the means to live generously? But that doesn't stop the fact that we are called to live generously, like this widow uh, in our story that we just read. And we are freed from the power that money and possessions have over us because of what Jesus did. Like that is a reality that we live in. It feels like an abstraction, but it is also a reality. Um, and so we are called to live in that reality every day and to share with others as needs arise. Um, we're going to talk about that a little, more in a, a little bit more in just a few minutes. Um, last week, we talked about transformation. And so practicing um, this kind of generosity is transformational. It does change us to practice this kind of, of generosity because it costs us something. And that is what changes us. That's what Shane was just talking about a few minutes ago. Practicing this kind of generosity transforms us. It changes us. Um, I'm going to give the mic back to you and let you talk a little bit more about these scriptures. Okay. Um, you know, one thing I'm thinking about as we're talking about this is we can often, we kind of talk about giving, whether it's money or resources and kind of abstract concepts. And, and there is kind of a feeling of, you know, however, however you give, whether it's, it's by, you know, showing up to volunteer or doing something like that, or if it's, you're giving online, it's, it can feel very abstract. Like, I don't know what exactly this is going to, like, I get that it enables us to kind of meet here together. Uh, and those are good things. And I, th I think it's really important to to look at the stories of the things that we've been able to do, like so, several months, three or four months back, we passed out $25 gift cards to everyone that was here. And most of us have given those out. And that, that put food in people's bellies that needed food. We were able to do that because we, because we, we gave uh, out of our abundance. So like we gave out of what we, had. That was the only way we were able to do that. And you might think, well, then I could, I could just go buy a $25 gift card and do that. Uh, okay, but maybe the person in the pew next to you couldn't. Like, maybe they couldn't, but they got to give that. And it is, it is us. It's not me as a person. It's the church that's able to provide for the people who need food in Austin, Texas. And the other thing I was thinking was, there's this, there's this beautiful text where uh, Jesus says, you know, don't worry about where, where you'll eat, where you'll sleep. You know, look at the birds of the field, and they don't worry about where they're going to eat. And, you know, the flowers, they're clothed even more beautifully than, than Solomon. And uh, so don't worry about what you'll eat or what you'll drink. And so I think that uh, there's a tendency for us to kind of over-spiritualize that. But what's interesting is when you read in Acts, when the early church, when this community centered around Jesus' teaching, it said they sold all their possessions and gave to anyone who had need. And so I think that there's a real practical dimension where what Jesus had in mind was um, not that in a miraculous sense you would be provided for, although that might happen, but that when you were a part of this community, we are each other's safety net. Like we take care of each other in this community. And so there's this very practical um, 
uh, context to don't worry about what you eat or what you drink because you're part of this community that's going to take care of you. And so I think that when we talk about generosity, there's this really big why hanging overhead, but maybe we don't think about it very much. That, that big why, and that's because we can be a part of this place where we give to each other and we make sure that there's not anyone amongst us who are in need. Yeah, so I'm going to throw it back to y'all. Um, next question. How does generosity transform us? How does it lessen the power that money has over us? That is a kind of uh, big question. Uh, but as you've been listening, as you've been able to think a little bit, what are, you, what, are you, what are your thoughts? What's going on? Preach. I know some of y'all have some thoughts about this, so. So, go ahead. Oh, hold on. I have to repeat it for the podcast. <laughs> so, Matt and Zach are saying that giving money away or a possession away means that this thing that I'm giving away is not as important as what I'm giving it to, who I'm giving it to. It makes it less of an idol. Yes, a good summary. Tim. So, choosing to not find our value and our worth in money lets, uh, it disentangles us. I like that word. So we can find our value in something else. It can transform us to find our value somewhere else. Yeah. Did you have your hand up? Yeah. So you find it valuable to just say yes and not worry about what the outcome of your yes might be. Not to try to, that's what Matt said, like I'm not trying to be in control of what this will be used for. And even that lessens the power of it over you. Yeah. Yeah, anybody else before we move on? Sean. So giving takes the focus off of me as an individual and puts it on us as a group. It, and it lessens the power then that it has to want to hoard it and keep it. Yeah. Yeah, those. Go ahead. I would expect nothing less. Thank you for sharing. So I think I, I uh, if I can try to summarize that, Jamie, I think that you're saying like, <laughs> okay, I won't. So yeah, let me say that I've got a few thoughts because I, I, I think I agree with what you're saying. Um, something that's, uh, I find interesting is like, there's actually real data about money making you happy and not and uh, I think it was like the the people from Freakonomics one time, like they had a, a show about this, like they did surveys about people's happiness and their income level. And what they found out is like, um, it actually did make people happy to a certain level. So meaning like, if you didn't have enough money to pay for your next meal or your housing or your basic needs, um, that creates a stressor in your life and makes you less happy. And so, and, and that like, like totally intuitively makes sense, right? And so, and then what they, have, what they found though, there's like, there was a curve, right? There was a curve on the graph of like, yeah, there's happiness at certain, and then it starts to taper off where like, there's enough that you don't have to worry about that. And, and then there becomes a point where more money does not make you more happy. And 
I think that for middle class people, we're probably there. Like we're probably leveled off. And so like, I actually, I think that that is like part of the importance of being generous is that we can be a help. We can be a blessing to those people who are not on that side of that curve yet, who, who need that. And that, that, that cannot be a stressor in their life. And so I, I think that we can, um, it, it's often, it's kind of like, if we're not careful, we can do this thing where like, there's been stats that go around that like, um, like the, there's like eight companies in the world that cause like 95% of pollution in the world. And so we can, we can do this thing where we're like, uh, we make, make it sound like the solution to the problem is going to be you riding your bike to work, you know? <laughs> and when it's like, it's really this other huge systemic problem um, that is going to have to be changed in another way from like just little individual personal us doing our little recycling is not going to do it. Right. And so I think we, I think we have to be careful to, to not communicate that the solution to the problem, I don't think that Jesus was saying the solution is poor people giving all they have. Right. Like, I don't think that that was the point. And you know, it's interesting in the story. Um, it does not, I, if I'm reading it correctly, if I remember it, like, uh, He's not, he doesn't shame the rich people for giving a lot. Like, I don't think it talks about, I don't think it claims that they're doing it for show, does it? He doesn't invalidate, yeah, the actual giving, right. He just contrasts Contrasts it with what she's doing, right, right. And I, and I think that, um, so I think that there is a way for everyone in the Christian community to give something, but that may not be money. It may not be money because I think that um, when you allow people to give something, if it's not money, if it's just a little bit of time or, or labor, I mean, just stuff like putting the signs out on the street, right? We are giving people agency and we are giving people ownership in something that does not cost money. And so I think that so I don't know, Jamie, if that like gets to what you're getting at. And so I think for me, like that's why that's why for me personally, and maybe this lands with no one else in the same way, but that's why the the moving walkway metaphor works for me, because I think if we just say money evil, but we've got to do it, then we're just saying we're it's okay to be complicit in evil. I, and I think I think if we say it's it's not that it's not that it's evil, but it's not exactly that it's neutral either. It's that it's going a certain way, and we can use this uh, in a different way if we choose to, but we've got to be proactive. Like, we've got to run the opposite direction on the pedway. And so it's not that it's not that owning money, it's not that me having money in my wallet is bad or my bank account is bad, but it's just that I've got to be proactive in this society that is moving me in a certain way. Yes. Well, that's amazing. Um, thanks for sharing that. Um, yes, I want to be clear that two things. In house church, for those questions that we put on the scripture, like, well, I can't remember what all four of them are, but one of them is what irks you about this text. And so thank you for sharing what irks you 
Jamie about this text. Um, and what, what, wouldn't it be nice if the rest of the story was, and then Jesus and the disciples went and made sure that she had everything that she needed for the rest of the month until she got her next social security check or however <laughs> she was provided for in that time. Um, cause that's something that just had not stood out to me before in that story. And so, um, now that it, now that you've brought it up, it bothers me too. So also thanks a lot for that, Jamie. Um, but, um, also I do want to be clear. Yes. That we're not saying money bad, um, being poor, uh, good. Um, uh, we have to move on, Zach. Is it fast? Go. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. <laughs> okay, we're going to finish up. Um, and what I want to do is point out some of the ways that we've seen generosity in our community for the last several years. Um, and so this is just like John, John kicked us off here with that. So thanks for doing that. How did you know? Anyway, um, we got a slide. Um, and this is just, yes, this is just a handful of ways that we've seen some, a lot of generosity in this community um, throughout the last few years. One, um, all through the pandemic, um, we saw all of y'all continuing to give um, all through the pandemic. And so our, our budget remained stable all through COVID, which was remarkable. Uh, there are organizations, what's that? Okay, it went up. Um, businesses, churches, other organizations that could not say that. Um, that was not true here. And so we've said we're grateful for that over and over again. I'm saying it again. Um, that, that was really amazing. Um, and part of what we did because of that was we created the neighboring fund. Uh, we were able to meet so many needs, you know, through that since 2020. Um, so we set aside a specific fund just to meet needs as they come up. Um, and I could rattle off all sorts of things like meals and, and putting people in hotel rooms when they, you know, didn't have a place to stay and, and all sorts of things that we've been able to do through that neighboring fund. Um, as individuals in our community have had needs that have come up and that has happened, you know, several times over the last few years, um, we have met those needs not through our neighboring fund, um, but just our house churches have organized those. Or there's been an individual who has sent out a text and said, everybody Venmo me and I'm going to go get a gift card or I'm going to pay a bill or, or whatever has been needed. Um, it has blown my mind the amounts that we have just raised for people. Um, like, like literally I have been astonished at what we have raised individually for people um, over the last few years um, as individual needs have come up. Um, and also, we've been able to do that for people outside of our community as well. We've done the same sorts of things um, as needs have come up. We've used neighboring fund. We've also raised funds sometimes outside of the neighboring fund. That's part of why we started the neighboring fund. So we weren't always raising money every time something came up. But we bought some shoes for some kids at a school a few years ago. We helped a guy get some teeth a few years ago. I don't know if y'all remember that. Um, we, you know, we, as, as folks, we, there's a lot of needs around here. Uh, people just come by our church often with needs and we're able to meet their needs um, as they come up. It happens so much and I know that you're not always all aware of that, so I'm telling y'all now that it happens, it happens a lot. Um, 
we are going to be sponsoring, we've talked about this a couple times, 50 kids um, in Kenya through Hope of Life at the new church that they just planted there earlier this year so that they can go to school starting in January. Um, so we'll be sharing more about that as I have more information about exactly how that's going to work. Um, so these are things that we're able to do as a church uh, through your generosity, um, through the generosity, the financial generosity of, of everybody here. I would say... Um, that I'm curious about how we can dream about our continued generosity, what else we can do um, for our neighbors. And I think one way that, can, that we can be challenged, and Jamie's already talked about this, um, is with our time. Uh, financially, we are a very generous community. Uh, our time, I think, is more challenging for a lot of us. How can we be more generous with our time? Um, so I'm just putting that question out there for, for a challenge for us as a church. How can, how, what are some ways we can be using our time um, to be generous for our neighbors, for our community, for each other even? What are some ways we can be generous with our time? So this is a discussion question I do want to close with, even though we've already had a really great discussion. But if a couple of you have an answer to this, I did not come up with this question. It came um, from the Spiritual Disciplines Handbook, which was written by Adele Calhoun. Consider the legacy you are passing on to others regarding stewardship or generosity. Consider your legacy. What do you want people to say about your stewardship of your resources once you are gone? Consider your legacy and what do you want others to say about you? And I would also want us to think about what people, what we would want people to say about us, Austin Mustard Seed. Uh, what is the legacy we want to leave, Austin Mustard Seed? Um, what do we want people to say about us as a community? I know, I know my answer. What's yours, Jane? You start off. Okay. So, if I can answer this question and also backtrack a little bit in the okay. same same breath, uh, I know we're going over time, but I feel like I feel like we stumbled over something very valuable here just in our discussion. I think this is a great thing about dialogical preaching. Um, so there's this great passage in Deuteronomy. This is Deuteronomy 15.4. It says, however, there need be no poor people among you. For in the land of your Lord, your God is giving you, you possess, you to possess as your inheritance, you will richly, he will richly bless you. And preceding this, God has given a bunch of economic commandments about like how you're supposed to like use your money and about like borrowing and forgiving debts and things like that. And so it's not just like an arbitrary like promise, there won't be any poor among you. He's saying, if you follow these economic rules, there won't be any poor among you because there's enough. And I think the importance is in our world, there's enough, but there's not enough for certain people to hoard. And so it's easy for me to look at like the 1% or people that make twice as much money than me and say like, yeah, that's their problem. But the truth is, if I'm very honest, I've got a little extra in my life and I can, I can afford to, to give. And so in God's plan, in God's economy, there's always this, uh, I don't want to, I hate using this word because I think there's a lot of baggage with it, but like a safety net, like God's people, and which, you know, now New Testament, we just call them people, uh, like there was always meant to be enough. There's always meant to be enough, but we can't hoard. We've got, it's not arbitrary. It's not an arbitrary promise. It depends on us following God's um, love and law for the way that we are supposed to orient ourselves towards our resources.
And, and yeah, so the legacy you're passing to others regarding stewardship, generosity, yeah. I, I want that to be our legacy, a, pla- a place where there need be no poor people among us because we're those who have are giving of their, their selves and their possessions and their resources and that there's, there's always enough because God is the God of abundance, not scarcity. Thank you. Anybody else? Jeff, Tim, and then Tim. I'm not going to summarize that, but thank you for sharing. Yeah. Tim, did you have something? Did Jeff just say (laughs) everyone's answer? (laughs) Fair. Um, This was a, a very good discussion today. Thanks, guys. I think that money um, is provocative. Yeah, Chris Gandy, I'm going to invite you up now for prayers of the people.